sorry. Uh, something is going on with my. <laughs> Hold on, just one second. Oh my gosh! No what the heck? Do you hear that music that was just playing? That was so weird. Okay. Hold on a second. Barbara Lally, author of The Trickster Diaries, has been pulling her body hair for 20 years since the age of 10. She now shares her story of living with trichotillomania to show others with this disorder that they can learn to accept themselves and be happy regardless of their struggle. My name is Katie Houston Davies and this is Mental Illness and Me. So my name is Barbara Lally. I am 30 years old. I am, uh, it's hard to say, I feel like I'm a lot of things. I'm a girlfriend, a sister, a daughter. I'm a dog mom. That's a big one for me. Um, I was a teacher for seven years and I recently left that. Um, but yeah, I love to read. I love to walk the dog, go to the beach. I live in beautiful, sunny West Palm Beach, Florida. So I'm constantly outside. And yeah, that's a, that's like a hard question to answer. Thank you for that introduction. You are an advocate for a disorder known as trichotillomania. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is for those who have never heard of it? Yes. So it is called the hair pulling disorder. And basically, to make a long story short, I have these uncontrollable urges to pull out my body hair. So for me, it's my eyebrows, eyelashes, and hair on my scalp. Um, and it affects about 1% to 2% of the total population. I think there's something like 10 million people in the United States um, have been diagnosed with this disorder. But yeah, I, I you know started when I was 10 years old, and I'm 30 now, so I've had it for 20 years. But I have these, there's really no way to describe it besides uncontrollable urges. Like I want to pull my hair out. Right. So do you know when trichotillomania sort of became known as a mental illness officially? Oh, so I know it wasn't when I first started because when I first started pulling my hair out, my parents kind of threw me into the medical field. Like, please, like, we don't know what's going on. Can someone help her? And at first they thought it was self-harm and then they thought it was OCD. And then now it's kind of under this own, its own umbrella term of body focused repetitive behaviors. Um, but it, it wasn't, I guess, in, you know, in my knowledge, it wasn't until fairly recently that we have an understanding because I was in multiple studies when I was in middle school, I was in a study at a university. And then again, in high school, just to try to figure out what what is going on, you know, with what is this disorder? How can we um, help these people that are suffering? So it, it's still something that people are learning about and trying to figure out even now. Well, that's really interesting that you are part of studies that you actually are part of the history behind this disorder. I, I think that's really cool. And you've helped it through your participation help to hopefully raise awareness and help get some answers. That's awesome. Thank you. So tell me a little bit more about how your story began at age 10. When do you remember the first time that you felt that urge to pull your hair out? Yes. So I remember kind of just sitting in my, um, you know, my parents' room, you know, laying on the bed. I think my mom was putting laundry away. And I just remember, you know, pulling on my eyebrow and I'm like, I look down at my fingers and there's hairs there. And I'm like, oh, I never really tugged at my eyebrow before. So I didn't really know that like hair could just come out. You know, I was still young enough where I'm like, oh, this is weird. So I like wanted to see if it would happen again. 
So I pulled on it and then some hairs came out. And so I guess from that moment, I was kind of interested in like, things can just pop out. I didn't really have any clue. So first I start with my eyebrows um, and eventually I, I felt this itching sensation. So with, with when people pull their hair, it gives this sort of itch that you want to relieve. And so you pull more hair out, but then the itch kind of spreads. And so now you want need to pull more and more. And so eventually I had no eyebrows at all. I was either pulling them out with my fingers or I'm tweezing them in the bathroom. And then uh, I guess like sixth grade, I pulled out my eyelashes. That was the first time I did that. I had no eyebrows. So naturally I went to my eyelashes and I pulled those out. And then in the same year, I started pulling from right by my forehead. So above, you know, from my hair and I had a big bald spot there. So between like fifth grade and sixth grade, I had this huge, um, you know, I, how would I even say it? It's not even a relapse, but I had this huge moment of like this disorder is really manifesting itself in me and I have no control. I don't really know what I'm doing. So I feel bad. So I'm pulling more and then I don't want to. So this was like, the worst of the worst. You know, I had no eyelashes, no eyebrows. I had a huge bald spot on my head. And that's when, you know, I was thrown into therapy and then different, um, you know, studies and all that. And then from, I guess, seventh grade to 11th grade, I kind of had this, you know, moment of like armistice, you know, like there's no war going on with me. Um, and I think I, you know, I would pull here and there, but I wouldn't necessarily pinpoint any specific location so it was like overall thinning of things and not just like bald spots and then when I was in 11th grade I had my first like major relapse and so everything was out again no eyelashes I had very thin eyebrows like one or two hairs like really nothing um but I had pulled now from a different spot on my scalp behind my left ear and um yeah huge relapse and then once I entered college, it kind of, you know, goes in and out, like, you know, waves, like undulates. And then in college, I had um, really like, you know, once again, a little bit of a break. Things grew back. Everything seemed okay. And then at 25, I had a relapse again with my hair. And then when the pandemic hit, I relapsed with my eyelashes. So I didn't pull my eyelashes for like 10 years. And then the pandemic happened and I was home all the time and I just kind of, had a free-for-all so now recently I have eyelashes that are grown back but prior to that I was without eyelashes for years oh my goodness I that is it, it really is fascinating and I can see why there somebody might be hesitant to share this part of them because they may feel shame or embarrassment because it's not something that is necessarily common but it is it's a disorder. Like you said, it's, it's an urge that is, would you say almost beyond your control? Oh yes. I, it, it like takes over my brain. Like there's a part where I call it like a trick trance and I've spoken to other people who we call tricksters cause you know, trick Um, so I've spoken to others and they find themselves in this, in a similar trance. So if I'm fixated on pulling my hair, it might be, 10 minutes, I look down and I have a pile of hair or it could be like three hours. And I look down and I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Why did I do this? Um, and so it kind of just takes over and it's really, really hard 
to snap yourself out of it. And even if you know, like I'm, you know, 30 years old now, I've had it for most of my life. I, I feel like one part of my brain is like, you know better, don't even do it, don't even reach for the hair. But then my trick part is like, nah, don't listen to her, let's go. And then I, it just takes over. So it's really, really hard to either, either snap yourself out of it or even try to avoid it. So would you say in your experience, just through personal experience and also talking to others in the community, is hair pulling, is it often in response to something going on in an individual's life? Yeah, very well could be. I, I have spoken to some people that mentioned that a loss in their life is when they began to pull. I think for me at the time, I can't really pinpoint what caused it, but I know that I've used it as a source of relief because it does feel good, even though, you know, I have some shame after I've used it to kind of cope with different emotions. So now it's all tangled up and I can't really pinpoint because I've used it so often, but I notice with myself that any emotion I'm feeling too much, either if I'm too happy, I'm too excited, I'm too sad. I will notice my hand gravitating toward my head to kind of mellow myself out, you know, get me back to equilibrium. Can you describe a little bit about, those feelings of shame and, and that are associated with this disorder? Yes, of course. Um, I think with, with a lot of mental illness and, and disorders, it's very easy to blame yourself because when you're quote unquote, you know, naturally sick, you know, just by, you know, an illness that's not mental illness, you can blame something else. Oh, you know, I got sick from doing this, but because you're doing the actions, like I'm pulling my own hair out, it you struggle so much more because the only person to blame is you even though there is actually no one to blame it's no one's fault so i felt constantly i'm letting myself down i'm letting my parents down you know how come i can't control this i would go to school and of course kids are kids they have questions i look different so they're gonna ask me why don't you have eyelashes where are your eyebrows and so i had to know when I'm pulling, okay, you're going to have a bald spot. They're going to ask you, what are you going to say? And why are you doing this? Because now you have to think of responses. So it was a a vicious cycle of just blaming and blaming me because it's my own hands and, you know, I'm doing it to myself and I, I just couldn't stop. And so it was always something where I would look, you know, at the eyelashes that I had pulled out and I would cry and I would say, you know, what, what, what's happening here? I couldn't, ever answer it. And so it was something that I just, you know, suffered with kind of in silence in a sense, because I didn't tell many people, even when they asked, where are your eyelashes? You know, I would make up an excuse. I wouldn't tell the truth. And so I felt really super ashamed of it. Do you feel like it held you back from doing things that you may have done otherwise? Oh, yeah, I I really liked swimming. So I, I I grew up and I was like fairly athletic. You know, my brother was always like super athletic one, but I was pretty good, you know, a little naturally good at some things. And swimming was something that I really, I liked. And when I was pulling all my hair out and my eyelashes in high school, I had to stop. Like I couldn't do it because I'm wearing this eyeliner and I'm like, oh my gosh, if someone sees my hair wet, they can see my bald spots or my eyeliner will rub off and then they'll see that I have no eyelashes. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't continue doing it anymore. Interesting. I didn't even think about that, that, you, uh, that obviously you were probably doing things to disguise the effects of the picking. And yeah, when you're swimming, it all of that is exposed. That's really, 
it's so sad to think that you felt like you couldn't do something you loved. So did you ever have to wear hair pieces to cover the bald spots? No, actually, one of my, you know, concrete memories when I was first pulling my hair out was my mom looking up wigs for children. And I was mortified. I was like, I can't have this happening. She's like, do we need to order this? Like, what's going on? And, you know, for my journey, I didn't have to. When I pulled in the front, I used to wear really thick headbands. And then some kid in my class was like, we should take our headband off. And so that was gone and I got bangs instead. Um, And then when I pull from behind my left ear, I can cover that up. So it's, I never had to wear a hairpiece, but I did, you know, kind of have to style my hair in certain ways or like, um, you know, wear the headbands, but no, no hairpiece for me. I imagine that there are people though in the community of trichotillomania who do, is that pretty common? Yes. And they have such fantastic hair pieces now that are actually anchored to your scalp and it look, it's real human hair and you could not even tell the difference. It's amazing. That is really fantastic. And I imagine that that's come as a huge relief to those who are, who are struggling with this disorder. I wanted to ask what led you to share your story and to begin working in advocacy. So I had a dream. I know it's like Courtney, but I really was, I had like a a moment, you know, before deep sleep and about like, you know, I never shared about this and it'd be like kind of interesting, I think for a book. So I like woke up in the middle, you know, woke up from that and I typed ideas of like some chapters in my notes app on my um, iPhone and I went to sleep. And then the next day I talked to my boyfriend and I'm like, so I have this like crazy idea. And he was like, no, that's amazing. He's like, you definitely should. And then I told my girlfriends and they're like, you definitely should. And my dad and brother, and they're like, you definitely should. So um, it kind of was something that I was really, really nervous to do because I never thought of myself as a writer. Um, And I also never really shared this, but I think I was ready. I just out of, you know, something was telling me like, it's time for you to, to get this off your chest. And while I was writing it, it was one of the most healing processes like of my life. And I'm like crying hysterically at some parts, I'm laughing at other parts um, and just like getting it out there and, and being able to, to share it with people and have them relate to it um, has changed my whole entire life. So how would you categorize the genre of it? Is it self-help? Is it autobiographical? Tell me what the book's about. Oh, sure. Yeah. So it's a memoir. Um, It's a collection of short stories and poems. And I have photographs too, just detailing my life to, um, you know, through my journey of self-acceptance, because now I feel like I can be my true self. But for many, many years, everything was hidden. My trick was hidden. I never spoke about it. It was like a dirty little secret. But now I can accept that, okay, trick might be something that I'll never be cured of. And I don't even know if I want to be. You know, now it's a part of myself that I really like, and I like meeting other people in the community. And it has brought so much joy when I was younger, it brought only, you know, torture. But now it's something that I actually do really like about myself. That's really interesting. I don't think I've ever heard anyone on the podcast say, you know, I don't know if I even want to get rid of this disorder that I have because it has really defined such important parts of my life. I, that's really, really cool perspective to have. Can you tell us the name of your book so that if there's anybody who's interested in 
in buying it that they know what it is and where to find it? Thank you. Yes, of course. So it's called The Trickster Diaries and it's available on Amazon. That is so cool. Congratulations. That's an amazing accomplishment. Thank you so much. Thanks. It's um, like I said, it really is something that has changed my life. And I, when I wrote it, you know, I just thought if anyone can relate to this, my, my whole life is made, you know, my day is made. And I have received tons of messages where people have said, you know, I've highlighted parts of your book. Oh, you know, a, a woman has a daughter with trick and she looked at my photos and said, oh, she looks like me. You know, and I start crying when I, when I talk about that, but you know, it's, it is, it's healing for me, but I also think it's great for the community because they can see themselves in, you know, a, per, a person where life turns out okay. It's not like on TV where things are, um, you know, so, you know, dramatic, like life is, you know, they're in the asylum, for example, there's, you know, trick is portrayed a lot of times in like an asylum situation. No, life can be great. That is fantastic. So tell me why I have heard from a lot of people in the BFRB community that the body focused repetitive behaviors are very difficult to treat. And I'm curious about your experience with that. Why do you think it's so difficult to treat these disorders? And have you sought treatment? And how has that gone? Yeah, so I have gotten a lot of treatment from for it. I, I have been, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, I've been in traditional therapy, I've been medicated. Um, in high school, I was pretty heavily medicated uh, with mood stabilizers and things like that. Um, and I think, I, you know, I don't want to speak on behalf of everyone. But for me, you know, there's a part of me, a, a large part that likes it. So like, I like how it feels. I like to do it. I don't like the outcome of it. But you know, when I'm little, and they're trying to say, okay, instead of pulling your own hair out, pull out a baby doll's hair. Well, the baby doll's hair doesn't give me that sense of relief and that sensation that I have learned to like. So I don't really want to do that. But sometimes with different things, they might work for a little bit. But again, it's the, you know, the novelty wears off. And so then I'm back to, you know, doing the same habits. So some things that I've done that have, you know, worked are, you know, wearing fake eyelashes. If I, at the time when I was pulling heavily, and I only wore fake eyelashes within the last two years, if I'm pulling my eyelashes so much that I'm, I have none at all, and I'm wearing those fake eyelashes, I can't see them growing back. And so I won't pull them out because I can't see them. But the second I'm like a day without them and I can see the eyelashes growing back, I'm like, okay, here they go. You know, they're going to, I'm going to pull them out. Um, and it's really hard because you, you tie in so many things that you do with your trick. So like I said, with the emotions, like any emotion I feel, I'm, I'm kind of reaching for my hair. And so it's hard to figure out how to stop that when it's kind of, everywhere. So you said though that, you know, this is a part of you and it's not something you necessarily want to change. Do you want to find a cure or are you pretty content the way things are? Uh, I mean, I would, if there was like some sort of magic pill, I'm sure, you know, we all would take it. But I think that with my own experience, you know, I've had it for two thirds of my life. Um, I've kind of given up that, 
that hope that there's going to be this cure because I've gotten myself worked up and excited before and have just been let down. And so I think with my own personal journey, it's like, okay, at what point am I just going to accept this? Even if it's, you know, long-term, even if it's, you know, making me feel a certain type of way, instead of fighting against it and trying to, to make it stop, because it's just shown me that it won't, you know, I mean, you know, the, the history shows like 20 years, I've pretty much, you know, I've had it my whole, my whole life. So I just think that um, for me, accepting it and, and like kind of owning it for the first time has been so much more helpful than like trying, you know, to change my diet or to try more medicine or to do these things. Because for me, I've, I've tried all that already. And so it hasn't worked. And I, I don't feel right now in my journey that I would try other things again. Do you know what I'm saying? I understand. Yeah. You've just been through so much treatment and so much of people telling you that what you're doing is wrong and that it's bad that you probably are like, you know what? <laughs> I'm just at peace with the fact that this is a, a part of my life that I deal with and it doesn't make me a bad person and it's not going to define me. Although it does, I mean, it defines a lot of things that you do though, which is really cool. It has sort of given you a life purpose and mission. And that is really, really exciting. So tell me a little bit about family and friends who have a loved one with trichotillomania. What can they do to best support somebody with this disorder? I think the first thing I would say is just to try to educate yourself as best as you can. I know a lot of parents and friends, they come from a place where they want to help so bad that they don't take that step back and say, what would you like? Because for some people, they might want a little, oh, a slap on the hand. Don't do that. Other times they, they don't want that. That's going to make it worse because they feel like they're being watched, you know, things like that. And so it's, it's really kind of based on each person, but know that this is something that they don't have any control over. Like, like I said, I like to do it, but my brain is the one that's telling me to do it all the time, you know? So it's, it's not necessarily a conscious choice, um, but it's something that they're going through. And, and as much as you want them to stop, believe me, they probably want to stop even more and they just can't. So there's no, um, you know, there's no reason to be like, just stop it. It's just a habit. You'll be fine. Like that's not helpful at all. So just, you know, learn a little bit about it and ask them, how can I help you? How can I help support you in your journey? I really like that. Instead of trying to find a solution for someone who may not be looking for it, maybe they're just looking for some support while they do their own research, or maybe they're looking for someone to talk to about it, you know, and just to say, what do you need? What do you want? That's a really powerful piece of advice. I think. What about a child? You were a child when this started 10 years old. If you were to talk to your 10 year old self or to another child who is dealing with trichotillomania, what kind of advice would you give to this child? Oh, this is so hard because I could like cry when I think about my younger self. I like get so emotional. Um, I would just say, you know, it's not your fault. That's the first thing I thought of. Like, it's I'm going to get in trouble. You know, you're at that age still where you like don't want to make your parents mad. So I thought I would make my parents mad by doing this. Um, and so I that was like another stress that I had you know placed on myself. You know, it's not your fault. Um, things will get better. You know, pulling out your hair or hat all it doesn't make you like you said a bad person it doesn't um, affect who you are on the inside 
Um, and what I would also have liked to say is talk about it. You know, tell people what it is. There's a girl that I had spoken to who told her class every year, every, every year she, you know, went to the next grade. They talked about it with the class and her experience was much different than mine. Um, you know, so it's nothing to be ashamed of. If you want to share, do it. If you don't also don't have to, but I think that, you know, sharing things about yourself and feeling vulnerable is great because then people want to be vulnerable with you and you might have someone in your class that has trick that can relate that maybe wouldn't have said anything if you hadn't said anything so you know it's okay everything's going to be just fine and if you want to talk about it please do I'm so impressed with what you said about that girl who chose to talk about it with her peers at the beginning of each school year what an amazing way to take control of the situation and to sort of help prevent some of the bullying or questions that could come and be very painful for that child. I just, I really, really love that. That's a really fantastic suggestion. So when you meet new people or like with your extended family, is it something that you talk about a lot? So not really. I, I mostly speak to people you know, if they ask me, oh, what do you do? You know, I tell them where I work, you know, I wrote a book. And then of course, the, whenever anyone says they wrote a book, it's like, what is your book about? And so then I'm like, well, here we go. You know, it's this whole yeah. thing. So then they really get to know, you know, a part of me that I never shared, but it was great because, you know, I have a tattoo of the title. And so someone will ask me, oh, what's, what's your tattoo mean? And then I'm like, you're a stranger, but I'm like getting more practice sharing just a little snippet, you know, here's what it's about. It's my life with, you know, trichotillomania. Um, and I've had people say, hey, oh, I know someone with that or, you know, this, you know, things like that. But um, as far as my family goes, you know, the first few years, it was like all, I felt like it was all I talked about. Like it was like my whole life. I'm like, oh, I wish I could just be like normal. I don't want to talk about this. Um, but now that I'm an adult, you know, not really, we'll talk about the book. They have my, you know, my dad and brother bought so many copies, you know, right when it first came out. So they're posting pictures Aww. with it. But besides that, like, you know, not really. So is this something that tends to run in families? Like, do you know of any other family members that you have that deal with the same thing? So with me personally, my mom would twirl her hair. She never pulled her hair, but she would like twirl in a little ball and like put it above her, um, in between like her nose and mouth and like put it there. She like liked that. And when I pull my hair, and this is the same for many people with trichotillomania, I will run the root through my lip. It's like a thing you like rub the hair around your lip. And I had a therapist ask me that one time and I was like, how do you know? You know, cause it's like, I guess a common thing with people to put it around your mouth. But I have spoken to people whose mother has it and then they have it. So I, you know, have a little bit of a, um, I'm a little nervous just because I have it. I'm wondering, well, my, you know, if I have a daughter, will she have it? So that's something as an adult, I'm a little bit, you know, not, not stressed out, but maybe a little apprehensive, a little nervous because, you know, I've gone through, you know, a few things. Yeah, no, I, I feel the same way with OCD. It's really scary to think, oh, did I pass this on to my child? But, you know, it's not your fault. It's that, that's what you have to remind yourself and, the things that OCD has taught me have made me such a stronger person and have really brought a lot of purpose and meaning to my life. And so why am I wanting to rob my child of the same type of learning and growing experiences, I guess. Just out of curiosity, 
how many people that you meet and talk to have never heard of this? Oh, oh, I mean, like 85%. Wow. Yeah, like so many. And when, and anytime I meet someone who has any type of clue about what this is, I'm like, you do? How do you know? Like, I'm so, I'm always so amazed. I went to the same school from first grade to 12th grade. And like, I clearly had like no eyebrows, no eyelashes, like, you know, I, and like, no one ever was like, Hey, do you do this? Like, it was never like, do you, I do this too. But yeah, I haven't even really met anyone in real life with trick yet. I just like have my, the online community that I've met. (laughs) Wow. And that's my hope for this is that when I do put this out there, you know, when I put it on like my Facebook page or my Instagram and, and publish the episode that when they read the little sort of introduction to the episode, they'll go, wait, I pull my hair and somebody else does it too. And this is a thing, like it's an actual diagnosable mental illness. Like I hope that that brings them peace and comfort and then inspires them to find a community like you have, because you know, that makes all the difference. And I actually, I remember I did meet someone. um, So my, when I left my school, my principal had my book and told the school, you know, this is my Miss Lally's book, you know, this is what it's about. And one of the teachers came up to me and was like, I never knew it even had a name. I pull my hair out too. And I was like, that was the first person I think. And I think I was crying. That is so liberating to find a name for something that you've been struggling with. And so I'm sure that that teacher was extremely grateful and felt so much less alone in, in knowing that somebody else understood. I love that. Do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with us about trichotillomania or your experiences? Yeah, I would just say that sharing your story does a lot for you, but it does more for others. And from my personal experience of, you know, typing the story in private, eventually publishing and like letting other people read it, I feel like I can be myself 100%. I felt the arms of everyone, you know, opening up and saying, come here, we're here for you. There is an online community, uh, in-person community somewhere for you. People are there to love and support you. We want to hear your story. Please share it. And I'm sure you're going to feel amazing afterwards. Like nothing is, you know, nothing's off limits. Share your truth. You're going to be so much happier. The goal of Mental Illness and Me is to normalize the mental health conversation and help those who suffer feel less alone. Your support is critical to raise awareness and help as many people as possible. If this podcast resonates with you, please follow our Instagram account, Mental Illness and Me KT, our Facebook page, Mental Illness and Me, or leave us a review on your podcast platform of choice. If you are interested in sharing your story, please email mentalillnessandmekt at gmail.com.